you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the NFL podcast demands the front page and a photo. (laughs) Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis coming to you from a country filled with heroes in different time zones. Got Ricky Hollywood over there in New Hampshire, and both Mark Sessler and Greg Rosenthal holding it down in Los Angeles. What is up, boys and girls? Yo, I tried to point to Mark there to just you know say the first words because I was drinking some water, but Mark refuses to interact and have a little banter at the top of the show. No, I like you know the same way that Dan demands um, you know headline a screaming headline and a glossy photo. I like to be I like the table to be set for me that you if you want me to speak. You appropriately set up my comments. <laughs> I see we have a new batch of money tags off the top of the show. That's great news. Um, and I have I have done a little soul searching about uh, my upcoming interview and photo shoot with the Gatesville Messenger scheduled for Friday. Um, you guys are right. Even if you didn't come out and criticize me, um, I understood what was inferred that it was maybe my ego is getting too big with the demanding the front page. Uh, so I'm backing off that. And really what I'm going to do here is let the Gatesville messenger and their sports reporter, a very nice man named Mark Goodson, they will really be the gatekeepers of where I end up in the paper. And then upon some further introspection, because if, if nothing else, this quarantine and pandemic has prompted, I think a lot of self introspection, I'm going to use where I show up in the paper as kind of like a benchmark where I am as a person. If I get thrown on the back page um, and, and then and tiny font with a small photo that will tell me how much I need to work to become a more relevant person If I'm on the front page. Conversely. Well, I did it. I would have, I'd have two questions or follow up if, if I'm allowed. Number one, of course. Um, and you know, you can, an- you can answer them as a package deal, but how many pages 
are in this um, thriving weekly newspaper or daily. Three. I assume. Okay, and then but second question, Dan. <laughs> That's not true. Is, well, did no, this, Erica, well, Erica couldn't be more in her uh, blue blood cocoon up there in New Hampshire. She's never seen the Gatesville Messenger, so do not take her commentary as fact. It's a it's well, a biweekly paper that I would imagine I'd guess is in the range of twenty to twenty five pages. That's all that's fact. It's a factual answer. That's all I'm looking for. The second one is: Did your introspection? Um, did that begin after they informed you that you would not necessarily be featured on the front page? Did that trigger the introspection, or is this <laughs> um, free of their feedback on where you'd land? Um, I can honestly tell you, I did not have any conversations at all with the Gatesville Messenger about where my placement will be. Feels like you're putting a lot on, you know, in terms of like where you are in your life on, you know, some factors that might have nothing to do with you. You know, that you know, if it's in the sports section, it just might be in the sports section. You know, no one gets no yeah. one. No one breaks out of that. Yeah, I know. I And again, I don't know much about the reporter. If, he, if the guy could put out pages and does a nice job with the article, that's going to play a part. So, yeah, in some ways, just like in life, you leave some things to the fate fates to the gods and that's it, that's what's happening here it reminds me a little bit of I, I heard you know back in like the 80s and 90s i used to work at at nbc sports and there was this there you know more recently than that but back in the 80s and 90s there was this tv critic rudy martsky who i think we've talked about on the show yeah um who was like the only sports tv critic in the world you know or at least in the united states rather and he did it for usa today and rudy martsky's like four lines on how NBC's Wimbledon coverage was or World Series coverage was, like <laughs> would determine their the entire department. And this is to the, at the very top. This this policy was essentially set. Guys making you know millions of dollars. If he had a little dig, like people would get fired and that whole department would be a disaster for a year. If he loved it, it's like people got raises and it's just like some. Some schlub, you know, making an opinion. What does Rudy Martsky matter? Schlub. <laughs> so is Mark Goodson the new Rudy? Shlonsky? Right. I'm saying you're putting a lot on yeah. what he's saying. I don't know. I maybe, know. Uh, maybe he has. Well, I'd, I'd say Mark Goodson is definitely not um, Rudy Martsky in the wide span of the industry overall. But in your world, um, yes, he is. Mm. That's exactly. There's a lot it. riding on this, Dan. I feel this has gone from a jovial pursuit to I feel there's a lot, a lot of weight <laughs> on you now. And we've got to see, you know, I please save some physical copies of the paper for our families. To oh, enjoy. for sure. For sure. I think I just needed this. I needed one. Of, it's like when Jordan would set like these challenges. I just need something in this <laughs> pandemic. It's and parallel. that's what the Gatesville messenger situation is for me. All right. Good show coming up today. We spun the wheel of teams on the end uh, during the end of Monday show and it landed on the Minnesota Vikings. We reached out and we're happy to have Drew McGarry, the great writer author, former Deadspin columnist, and uh, big-time Vikings fan on the show. So we're going to talk about his Vikings fandom and then uh, dive into the Minnesota football team uh, in 2020. Before we do that, though, let us hit the news. And now they stretch to the back. The U.S. have numbers. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory. It's London Donovan. So often the inspirational figure was the man who was there to tuck it home. Did you boys know that we have hit the 10-year anniversary of Landon Donovan's incredible goal uh, against Algeria that 
stands to this day as the most famous moment in the history of men's soccer in this country uh, that put the U.S. into the knockout round where they were probably dispatched, by the way, which you kind of gets lost in a little bit in the story that the team didn't go much further. But U.S. men's soccer, which is very different than the women's team, which has been dominant and has won World Cups, the men's soccer team has always been kind of like this underdog upstart team. And I know we've talked about it on the podcast, but I thought on this anniversary and the fact that we have so many soccer fans or football fans across the, mm. the world that listen to the show uh, that I still remember – being profoundly unemployed uh, this week, 10 years ago, and going to Nevada Smith's, which is a great soccer bar in the East Village of Manhattan, uh, and watching the game with my good friend Howard. And it being one of the, like, I'm and I'm not a big soccer guy, but it was one of the greatest sports moments of my life, at least watching on television, uh, the celebration when Donovan's goal went in, because it was the, the passion and the patriotism of all of it was uh, incredible. I remember getting even interviewed uh, on the street, the reporter from, I think, the Washington Post. They was cannot stay away people. from you. They I just know, cannot. You're a over. magnet to this publicity. I, I was probably I was within a mile actually, of you. I was probably. Oh, really? Uh, I, I think I was. I lived in the East Village at the time, but I, I, I was at a bar in the Lower East Side, a little a little further down. And I, I have to say, being in New York City for the World Cup was, you know, in 06 and 10. I guess those were the only two. That was one of my favorite like things about living in New York like it just you takes over the city and it's all you're doing for three weeks which I feel like like it's a perfect place to be for the World Cup I felt and like you wish we, well ahead, we had that moment together here in LA um with with the World Cup where in the course of two or three hours um Wes what had his he claims his iPad stolen I feel like it was probably <laughs> closer to just misplaced but I very could have been stolen by um one well of it the, was misplaced the then stolen I think that's okay. what it was. I, and then, and then, you know, for, this came forty minutes after a coworker who I won't name um, got into uh-huh. like a a bar clearing brawl. And this all with the, this is with the U.S. Uh, World Cup antics in the background. So it was quite a day. Mm. <laughs> yes, that, and it is. It's kind of a bummer that the, the U.S. men's soccer ne- didn't build off that moment in 2010, and they haven't even showed up in the World Cup. Uh, since, but I'm, I look forward to that happening again down the line because it really is incredible. Uh, and I, in doing reading an oral history uh, by um, on ESPN.com about the game and the aftermath, this interesting nugget, guys. The celebrations following that game became legend unto their own. Former President Bill Clinton was at the match, making his way to the dressing room to join in the festivities. Former NFL star Reggie Bush was there too. <laughs> Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie's in the locker room in South Africa, I believe, where the game was played uh, after the U.S. beat Algeria. That's amazing. I wish we would have known that, would have asked him about it when he was a part of the Around the NFL gang. I mean, especially at that point, he was on like an upper an upper tier of not only sports celebrity, but just U.S. celebrity. I mean, you just yeah, won a that's... Super Bowl, you know, had the Kardashian thing. It was, Reggie was flying high. He was king. He was king. All right. Let's get in to the Ricky. Do you remember that game, by the way, the match, the uh, the U.S. beating Algeria? It was yeah. 10 years ago. I don't I don't even. You were a wee girl. 2010. I graduated high school. So well, not everybody gets the soccer fever. Yeah, that, that's what happened down there. Unfortunately. In, uh, but I was I was super plugged in for the, you know, the U.S. women's team. They did a great job. I was great. So what a squad. Yeah. All right, let's get to the news and let's start with a name. He he pops up on the show every once in a while and he's a guy you keep tabs on because he 
was a Hall of Fame talent uh, before he stepped away from the league. Uh, Antonio Brown. I guess he didn't really step away. He was told <laughs> right, to step a nice away way to put it. from the league. Steps. Uh, our own Mike Silver of NFL Network reported on Tuesday that the Seahawks and the Ravens have, quote, had internal discussions about signing Brown who was out of the league for most of last season, did that uh, cup of coffee with the Patriots, uh, much ballyhooed and much angering to the great Chris Wessling, as I recall, on this program. Uh, But Silver's uh, colleague, our buddy Mike Garofolo, also said that uh, whether it's Josh Gordon or Antonio Brown, there's a strong sense the Seahawks will eventually take a chance to upgrade at receiver. Greg, when you were doing your roster projections, you saw a wide receiver as a, a position that needs upgrade. Is that how you saw it when you went through their uh, roster? The Seahawks, yeah, they they yeah. have one of the worst third and fourth receiver situations in the league. I mean, they have a great starting duo in, in Metcalf and Lockett, maybe as good as they've ever had uh, under Pete Carroll. But it falls off a cliff right now. They're asking Philip Dorsett or David Moore. I mean, and you need more than two receivers. So I could see them taking the plunge of, of any team. I do wonder how this is like getting out there is Antonio Brown's team trying to push it out there. The teams are just talking because you got to find out the suspension. No one's signing him until we find out the suspension. And I, I could imagine he might get suspended for a while, maybe half the season. I mean, it's a total guess, but it seems like it could be a while. Yeah. I think you'd have to project him as someone that you could put into the lineup for a stretch run. I mean, and these are two teams that that makes sense for, and I'm not sure how um, a front office decides uh, between Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon, who is the more, I guess, unreliable wild card between the two because they can sting you in different ways um, if you're building a team around them. But, I mean, I feel like we talked about the Ravens, and I know I got on an Emmanuel, so I wanted them to sign Emmanuel Sanders, that they could really use, um, like, a veteran to step in and, and, I think, elevate the guy, like, Hollywood Brown around a veteran that that, that could help. I don't love their depth at all in Baltimore, Um but I don't know what you can count on with Antonio Brown. I, it, the fact is this, like, if it worked, that that's one way you make the last year's Ravens like tangibly more dangerous than they than they were. I would take a chance on him. I know he's out there and he's got all sorts of issues. And Mike Silver reported that the likely suspension will be in the neighborhood of eight games. Okay. Uh, but if you if you sign him to a contract that obviously is not going to be worth a lot of money. He's, he cannot can command big salary because of the state he's put himself in. And you give yourself an easy out. I feel like if I'm a team that's right on the doorstep and if I'm ownership and, and front office general manager who, who believes in my head coach who can handle the situation and will know what to do, if I'm okay morally with uh, hiring Antonio Brown and bringing him in because some of his transgressions off the field are disturbing – uh, I would do it uh, personally, and I guess I'd be kind of surprised if we don't if we've seen the last of him. I know mm-hmm. that I've seen in other places people saying it would be shocked if if he gets back in the league because of all that he's done. But remember, one of the most prolific, gifted, um, studly wide receivers statistically that we've ever seen before he went away. I I think that the two factors you mentioned morals and yeah you know, that probably doesn't come into play as much as it should with NFL teams, but it's what he's done off the field and what he's done, um, you know, with at the end of his last two stops, you know, what he's done in the last two years, you know, with the Steelers, with the, the Raiders and with the Patriots. I don't know. It's, it's a tricky one. Cause Gordon, Gordon, why not take a try? Why not take a shot? Um, 
when when he gets back in the league, but it's also like a lesser of an upside. You're right. I mean, Antonio Brown's best receiver, you know, to me is the best receiver since I've been covering the league. You know, I would say in the last two decades, he's my guy. Mm. All right, let's move on. Ownership change in the NFL doesn't happen a lot, so we're going to talk about it right now. Martha Firestone Ford, 94 years old. She has stepped down uh, in her leadership role with the Detroit Lions in favor of her daughter, Sheila Ford Hamp. Uh, Firestone Ford, not easy. She took over after her husband, William Ford, died in 2014, and this is a, a team that's been in the Ford family since 1963. The new owner, Sheila Ford Hamp, says she's going to be, quote, very hands-on. Not always what you want to hear from ownership, but you know, <laughs> maybe maybe she'll be good at it. Who knows? And uh, connected to Hamp is her comments that she would, quote, completely support the Lions signing Colin Kaepernick. Mark, I, I mentioned it uh Last week that we could be heading into uh, trope uh, siren territory here if, if teams continue to say how, oh, it would make so much sense to sign Kaepernick. I'm not saying this is the same situation, uh, but it does certainly put a little bit of heat now uh, on Matt Patricia, uh, the head coach of the team, now that the owner has uh, gone out and said she would welcome Kaepernick being there. Yeah, I think it's tangibly different. It is a bit of a trope, but it's it's an owner, which – on this show we've talked about over and over is like getting owners to start to verbally get behind this. And it, so it is different. Um, you know, it's not a great scenario for, I think here's the thing. If you're a, if you're a Blauhart, if you're one of the, if you're part of the David Blau fan club, <laughs> sorry, um, man. well, no, you know what? The greater, wait, good, are you still a Blauhart? Uh, sure. Of course. I'm still oh. writing the newsletters. First of all, I mean, those take a lot of, a lot of my time. <laughs> What's but going I'm, on in those newsletters this off season? Well, we're talking about the span of someone's life and what David Blau has accomplished over, you know, months and years. I like but, your um, dismissive comments of the Gatesville Messenger, and then I'd love to see how many pages the Blauhard Weekly is. <laughs> well, you know, I, I when I, I I won't get further into that, but um, we keep it tight and we keep it very readable, and uh, there's some gems in there. A lot of what do you have to hide, Mark? <laughs> big font. I would just really say this: font. that it's it's sometimes you got to roll with the greater good, and like. Um, I, you know, Kaepernick, it should be a backup in this league. I'm not saying she'd be a starter right now, but uh, the Lions kind of fit as a place where that could work, um, especially if you've got Hamp, Miss Hamp, telling you that that's um, happening potentially. Well, Chase Daniel is well, she their didn't backup. say potentially, but yeah. Yeah, Chase Daniel and the Blauhard. Well, forget Chase Daniel. He, he has I mean, five that, million dollars. Man, Chase Daniel. It's funny because Chase Daniel is actually the guy that everyone always mentions when they're talking about Kaepernick, they're like, hey, if Chase Daniel can be getting six, seven million dollars a year, what? There's not a spot for Kaepernick. And this is the team with Chase Daniel. And I had to go check his his contract because I, I wasn't sure how much money he got five million guaranteed from the Lions. Still. What? St- I mean, that's he's not getting paid that much this year. That's over a couple of years. Um, but yeah. Oof. What a locker room guy. <laughs> so that it's it's just not going to happen. I mean, it, it's kind I mean, of a Greg, great you example. You fed into this. It's kind you of a great example you're of making how, the leap piece on him. Right, how crazy it was. You created this, Greg. Yeah, it's my fault. Former making the leap candidate, Chase Daniel. All right. In other news, Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic reports that the NFL will let teams set different attendance capacity limits when the schedule starts in August with the preseason. What does that mean? It means some teams can potentially 
play in front of a full or nearly full stadium. And then other teams under this a policy could hypothetically play in front of nobody. Uh, Greg, this does call to question an obvious uh, query here, which is, is this fair? If, if, is this a scenario where obviously the way the COVID has been handled in this country, it's been very inconsistent. And uh, if there are 70,000 people down there in Jacksonville watching a game and then zero people at the new uh, Rams stadium watching the game, that doesn't seem right. I don't know. These are the t- things the NFL tries to control typically. I'm not going to lose sleep about that, partly because it reminds me of all the stories that have been written about, you know, the different scenarios about baseball the last three months. What a waste of time, you know, because they all ended up changing a million times. And I find it interesting. I think it's worth like, okay, well, that's an interesting thing to consider that the NFL is thinking that way. But who knows if there's going to be any fans in any stadiums? I mean, and I don't I don't think it's like it would be. like overly unfair, but I guess I want to see what actually happens before I worry too much about these potential plans. Cause I just think I already can think of some articles, you know, Florio, my old boss wrote one, you know, saying how, how basically announcing there would be fans in all the games, uh, you know, like two or three months ago, like stop, no one knows. We just don't know where this is going. Um, and I don't know. I guess I, I would be surprised if there's any fans uh, early in the year, but I have no idea. I mean, I guess part of it is you you float something that, like this out there to see how it does mm. um, with people's reaction. Are, are people are you know apathetic to it, or the, the legal also along all of this with Corona has talked about um, not creating competitive disadvantage that we're not going to open complex a even if they're in a city where people are you know flying around town getting drinks and having exquisite like shrimp dinners or or in where city b can't do that so i don't like the idea of having two or three stadiums that are rocking it out and making it impossible for um, a visiting quarterback or offense to hear but then in that quarterback's home stadium uh, there's nothing. There's but no what human. is? I, I don't know. Like, what is? Is that really even that huge of an, an advantage? Like last year, for instance, or, or lately, it's about. Would 50, you want to play in Kansas City? If like, I get it, but with, it's like with 50, fans or with home teams win like 55 percent of the game, so it is a very minor, a relatively minor advantage, anyways. And how much of that advantage even is just like you know, due to the fans, there could be other ways that you have the advantage where you're just at, at home. So I guess I'm not, I wouldn't lose a, isn't a lot it of about, sleep over it. I mean, isn't it about money? Because it, this right. coming out of this season, if these if these 32 teams have no fans, I mean, uh, the, we're going to have a lot of follow-up Corona news as to how the league would have to shift and change off of losing a year's worth of revenue, which is what meant to be $3 billion plus, If you know. I, I, I'd be curious if, you're a football team. Would you rather be the visiting team in front of 50,000 people or 70,000 people? Or like some of these guys might prefer to play with people in the stands, even if they're on the road, I, I would think, because of that's kind of how they've always played. And they might enjoy that, that the uh, adrenaline that comes with being yeah. in front of fans like that. That's an that's another way to look at it. And I agree with you on the other part, Mark, that like I've said on the show, Mrs. Miller, my old social studies teacher, explained almost everything with the line money makes the world go around and uh, the NFL is 
uh, stands to lose more than $3 billion if they play their 256 games and playoffs without fans. They still get a ton of money from the TV rights and all that stuff. Uh, and baseball, uh, and that was part of that nasty failed negotiation between the owners and players, it's going to be way more damaging uh, for ownership with all the games that are played in baseball and the revenue that comes from that, people actually attending the games. Football still, that's a huge chunk of change right. that they're after. And in that's... Terms- that's a part of this. In terms of the impact on the sport, I think the Premier League and, and Bundesliga are great examples because that is about as big time sports as you can get. And I would argue, I think the fans might matter more there than in the NFL on average, where the home crowd is, you know, such a huge part of the game. And it's been different. I'd have to hear from, you know, our old buddy Zach Goldman to, you know, break it down. I'm I'm no expert, but everyone watching those games says it's weird. It's different. It's not the same thing. But they're also enjoying the product that's on the field ultimately, and they're watching it and they're doing it. And that, that might just be what we have to do. I want to hear Zach Goldman on uh, Landon Donovan. Yeah, if my hero growing Today would up have been was the Don day. Mattingly, Zachy Goldman Donovan was his guy, uh, and that was a high moment in Zach's life. I guarantee you that. Uh, finally. Well, not finally. In other news, <laughs> we have a certified trope alert. And I, he, a man that's no stranger to trope alerts, Adrian Peterson, uh, the trope great alert. running back who trope is alert. in trope what you would alert. think the back nine of his career trope with alert. the Washington Redskins, even trope though he still alert. seems to edge toward 1,000 yards almost every season. He's now 35 years old. And he told TMZ... When asked about how much uh, longer he p- intends to play, he wants to play through 2023. Man, why not four more years, Peterson said. Why not? Why not? I, that's uh, a fair question. Why not? I would have never guessed he'd still be going. He's he's sort of broken uh, all the rules. And, uh, you know, there's a financial part of it. He had some he had some debt debt woes uh like he was pretty deep in debt that was that was a public uh thing despite all the money he's made in his career so he wants to keep going but it is a sign of his greatness how well he's still running and Wes has been on this I've been expecting him to fall off a cliff and I've prematurely buried him Adrian Peterson ran really well last year like I don't know if he's still gonna keep getting jobs but he ran really well you would never have known that he was 34 years old last year yeah I'm kind of out of the business of you know proclaiming doubt about Adrian Peterson's on-field ability at this point because I've been clearly wrong about his career like twice in the latter stages. Um, I I don't understand. I'm not sure, you know, the way football offensive um, uh, game (laughs) planning is working that a, that a early down thumper who is of no use in the passing game uh, project that out to someone who would be, you know, mid late thirties, four years from now. I, I don't know what role he would demand. He wasn't happy on the saints sharing workloads, um, if you recall. So, you know, he's going to have to lower um, some of his asking, it, you know, it, elements of saying, how much do I get the ball? Maybe a lot less. How about that? So this was actually a new one. I have a, I have a running list of tropes, uh, trope alerts in the NFL offseason, both during mini camps and then uh, through training camp. Uh, and this is a good one to add. This is So how would you describe this one? This is, Aging player believes he could play multiple 
uh, more seasons. Is that, yeah, is that it's very like often I'm going to play five more years or till I'm 40, which in this it checks both boxes. Adrian Peterson, I'm going to play till I'm 40. Right. I'm going to play five more years. But yeah, aging player, I'm going to play X more years. Certainly. Well, he's kind of interesting because he's 35. So he's saying I want to play four more years. So he wants to play till he's 39 and uh, not five years, but four. So oh, maybe okay. he's mixing it up a little bit to keep us on our toes. <laughs> I'd go five. <laughs> nice round number. I feel like his over under is one and a half um, for more years. But as Mark said, he's he's proven us wrong. He's a Hall of Famer. There's not many, as Mark said, early down thumpers like that wording uh, that are going to be making the Hall of Fame as a running back in the coming years. He might be the last one for a long, long time or maybe ever. Who knows? This also gave me the idea. I looked up how many boxes there are in a bingo board. And there's 25. If I could come up with uh, right now, I have 18 or 19. If I can just get up to 25, we could create trope bingo. And that would just be a lot of fun. I feel like every year. So I'm working on that. If if anybody listeners out there, if you have any uh, tropes uh, that that are your favorites during this time of year, please hit me up and maybe there'll be some new ones I could add to the list to get to 25. All right. Finally, in the news. Big Ben Roethlisberger, he's recovering from a nasty elbow injury that required surgery and effectively wiped out his 2019 season. Uh, but he says he's cleaned up his life, and more importantly, uh, since his uh, early career issues, run-ins with the law, and uh, he had some issues that he acknowledged during a virtual conference for Christian men. He acknowledged that he fought off-the-field vices over the years. Here's the quote. It's not always easy. People don't realize all the time that us athletes, we're human. We sin like everyone else. I am no different. We make mistakes. We get addicted to things. We sin. We're human. I think sometimes we put, we get put on this pedestal where we can't make mistakes. I've fallen as short as anybody. I've been addicted to alcohol. I've been addicted to pornography, which makes me then not the best husband, not the best father, not the best Christian I can be. Big Ben got married in 2011. He's still married to his wife. They have children uh, and he's being very open about his past issues. How about that? Well, I mean, well, I do th- go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, didn't, I think people, number one, like, I, like no one wants to touch this one. No, to I don't, I, I think Big Ben, like in terms of um, first of all, the problem with being a quarterback in the NFL is your life from the age of, even if you're a middling quarterback is tracked heavily from the age of like 20 through 28. I don't, I'm glad that, um, you know, most people listening to the show don't know uh, most of the things that happened to me or the things that I did between those years. I mean, there were some good things, but there's a lot of stuff that would have created headlines for the wrong reasons too. I do think um, specifically with big Ben, because that was um, brought up when he got married to this woman specifically that, People can change a little bit. I think his compass has changed. Um, this isn't the same guy of 10 years ago. Uh, so I I don't think, I, you know, he's owning up to who he was and who he is and the fact that he's not perfect. Um, he's kind of a dartboard for us to attack on the show sometimes. But, I mean, when's the last time that Big Ben has been a problem uh, for anyone? Sure. But, you know, these aren't youthful indiscretions. These are two accusations of rape. And if, well, if that no happened, one's discounting that, I'm talking no, about no, no. I'm just saying though, if, after it, that, you know? I, absolutely. But I'm, I am just thinking he he is an interesting guy to think about because if that had happened, you know, in the last few years, 
does he stay with the same team he's on? Um, you know, he, that marriage that, that you mentioned was, was a year after the second of those um, two accusations. And you can go back and look at the police reports and, and the reason why the accuser the second time around didn't, didn't want to um, go through with the trial because she didn't want it um, intruding on her life. But it, it's, it's real deal stuff. And I think that's always been something that people who have followed the league are, you know, it, it's a shadow over Ben Roethlisberger. And maybe this is, you know, I, he has not addressed those issues too directly over the years. And, and maybe this is part of, you know, the first the first step of doing that. And the NFL, by the way, reduced that suspension from six to four games. Right. That, a, a, that, very, a very different time. And the Steelers sort of transparently, like, pretended like they were going to maybe trade him. Or maybe they really were going to trade him, but uh didn't happen. <laughs> I think it's true, and I've having covered the league for ten years now. I remember Mark a lot of different cases that would pop up that we'd write one-off newsers on that would then disappear. Um, and if they happen today, and this is a good thing, that it's a much bigger deal. And yeah, I think Big Ben, in terms of his career aspects and the number of games he's played, and the fact that he's still a member of the Steelers, I think the fact that that stuff went down ten years ago, uh, it made it a lot different. Because if it happened today, I don't know. I don't know if, you, if, he's, if he's even in football anymore. It's, it's changed that much, and that's a good thing. Yep. And it should be noted that he wasn't convicted of any crime. But like Greg said, yes, there, there was, if you re- did the research on it and read it up on it, there, it was not a, a, a good situation. I think Roethlisberger is, in these comments, is saying that he's moved to try to be a better person from where he was at that time in his life. Pornography thing. That's interesting, huh? I, I stress out about that as a, a father, too, because like growing up, we were in a totally different place with that. Like, hmm. I see your face, Greg. I know you, you shouldn't I don't even know talk about you... this stuff, but it's like, no, no, no. no that's, just that that's not it was, why I'm it's such a, a different world now uh, in that realm. I actually stress out about it as a father of two boys, what you have access to and things of that nature. Uh, Big Ben is of our generation, so I guess he wasn't in the same boat, but I, you could go down dangerous pass with that for sure too and absolutely I, you know, and like i'm commendable that he owns up to that right i think also you know we're fathers of kids and mine are a little bit older than your guys but their when they their ability to like get to places on the internet this is not breaking news it's like stunning and it's like um their brains work that way and what they're able to discover probably um by an earlier age than i discovered some of that stuff can mess with you so i think the parental concern is very um, very real. And like, it's probably better just to be upfront about that than to run away f- from it, you know? Mm. Yeah. I'm Big Ben is a different situation away. than what I'm talking about. Yeah. But it is, it's a thing. All right. Yeah. That's what's happening in the news. Time for Cousins going deep. He's got digs. That's a touchdown. What a play. Cousins. He's got it! Batted at the line of scrimmage. Batted back and picked off. Can you believe this? Pick six, Anthony Harris pinball style. That's the throw that could very well erase all the conversation about whether or not Kirk Cousins can show up big in the big game. The Minnesota Vikings are up next in the wheel of teams 10 and 6 last season. They advanced to the divisional playoffs and then were wiped away by the 49ers. But they are back looking to make noise in the NFC North. Joining us 
our guests. We like to get someone who is connected to the team, uh, whether that's as a beat writer or in this case, as a well-known fan. And we have Drew McGarry, uh, who is a columnist for Mediums Gen Magazine, formerly, of course, of Deadspin and GQ. He's got a new book called Point B Out. Please check that out. He's a great writer. Drew, thank you for joining us on the Around the NFL podcast. Hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Right. Dan that mentioned true. that as we were talking to you, you're giving off a little bit of like a Brian Bosworth vibe here, uh, calling us uh, with the blue skies behind you from your vacation home, apparently. I'm just Big like shades. Boz. Just like Boz, except <laughs> I, I, I fulfilled my potential after college in a much more, uh, much more acceptable <laughs> So, all right. So Drew's also a big Vikings fan, as I said. And uh, you may or may not remember this, Drew, but a few years back, uh, my pain rankings uh, column I did for the NFL, ranking the most pain franchises. I had asked you to help me out with a Q&A um, portion of that, and you nicely uh, you did that. And to to explain that Drew is real deal, I asked him who the patron saint of pain was for the Vikings, and I thought he'd say Gary Anderson, but he said it was Waswa Serwangwa who was a cornerback who got roasted in the <laughs> NFC title game, the 41 nothing loss to the Giants. That was maybe more on Denny Green for putting a, a poor Mr. Serwangwa in that spot, right, uh, Drew? Yeah, I always thought um, – I was never as mad at Gary Anderson as everyone else was. He got sort of the Ray Finkel treatment after he missed that one field goal. But I put that title game more on Denny taking a knee at the end than I ever put on Gary mm. I'd ask, well, I'd ask you this. I mean, you, I, you wrote this incredible book about parenting. You're with your, your kids during your work um, holiday that you mentioned. Uh, Someone Could Get Hurt, basically, is the name of the book. Uh, as a parent uh, raising younger people, do you feel that if you pass on the Vikings fanhood to these um, young hearts and minds that someone could get hurt uh, more times over than they need to? Uh, I have passed on Vikings fandom to them. I, I actually don't live in Minnesota anymore. I grew up in Minnesota, but I don't live there anymore. And I live in Maryland, which is uh, which is worse because it puts them in danger of being Skins fans, and I despise <laughs> them with all my heart and soul. And, uh, and my, uh, But two of my kids don't care about football, and my, my middle kid, who's 11, he adopted the Skins, and I didn't Oof. object to it. I was just like, you, you, you make that bed, you lie in it. Like, kid, no. Obviously, if I had bequeathed him the Vikings fan, I would have given him a lifetime of pain. But now he gets to be in pain and he gets to be mortified to be a Skins fan. That's all <laughs> uh, so, Drew, let's let's kind of turn our attention to the 2020 Vikings here. And tell me where you kind of see them, where they fit in the landscape of the NFL. Because to me, they're kind of a tough read. Are they an actual contender or are they your classic 9-7, and 10-6 and six? 11 and five imposter that's never going to seriously contend for a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins there. Where do you see this Vikings team? Do you have Super Bowl aspirations as a fan of the team, or do you see this team as maybe a bit of a fraud? Mm. Well, I mean, they're always frauds, right? (laughs) (laughs) They are by far, I mean, I've, I've said this a lot, but they are by far the winningest team in NFL history to never win a Super Bowl. They're, I, I believe, maybe fifth. Or six all time in win loss wow. percentage, and you have to go, you have to go down all the way to like number sixteen or seventeen to find another team in all in terms of all time win loss percentage that hasn't won a Super Bowl. So, you know they're they're always fraudulent. 
whenever they're good. Uh, this particular year, though, I think most people have them pegged for being average because obviously they trade away Stephon Diggs. Um, they uh, got rid of uh, Xavier Rhodes and they got rid of uh, Trey Waynes. Waynes, I thought, was better than his stats suggested. Xavier Rhodes fell off a cliff and into the sewer last year. So I think that was that big of a deal. So they're essentially hoping for Greenhorns um, like Mike Hughes to succeed for them in the secondary. And that will really dictate whether or not they're able to do anything this year. The other thing is that, um, you know, they're putting a lot of stock in a first round rookie in Justin Jefferson uh, to fill the hole the digs had. And of course the problem is that there's been no minicamp. Uh, what training camp will look like with COVID, I don't know. Whether or not there will be a season, I still think is debatable. Uh, so, you know, how they're able to integrate Justin Jefferson, who plays more of the slot uh, than outside, into that offense and still give uh, still give Kirk Cousins protection to, to throw the ball and do the things that he was able to do last year so well, I think all of that's up for, for debate. So I think they're going to be pegged as like an 8-8, eight 9-17 eight, this mm. year. The good news is that the Vikings are usually good when they're pegged to be terminally average. Like the year they went 15 and one under Denny Green, no one expected them to go 15 and one. So, you know, the years that they let the Case me down, Keenum year, they surprised you know? me. Yeah, they surprised me by being really good at first those years, and, and then they destroyed my soul. But uh, so <laughs> that could be this year. But I don't, I don't know. It's, also, I'd love- you know, this is one of those years where if if they play, I'm just happy to see them play. You know. Mm. It's funny. I'd you love got to hear your take that, on. Uh, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. I was going to say, you've got me thinking this is actually kind of a typical, you know, Vikings era. If they're always pretty, because I was going to say, like, this Mike Zimmer era, I was curious, like, what, how Vikings fans feel about it in general, because they're always pretty good. But they're, ne- like, as Dan said, they're never, like, quite real contender. They're always, like, counting on defense when their defense is. Is good, but you're not going to win. A, they're, they're not like, hey, we're going to go dominate and win a Super Bowl. Good. I kind of like um, the idea that right now they're a little bit more of an offensive team with Gary Kubiak, with Dalvin Cook, with Thielen. And then it's kind of weird to like think that you're an offensive team. You're going to go as far maybe as your offense goes, but you've got Kirk Cousins leading the way. Like, what's the Vikings fans feeling of Cousins now going into his third year? I mean, I think every Vikings fan is more or less like the rest of the NFL, and they think Kirk Cousins is a fraud. And I, again, I live in Maryland, so I've seen him be fraudulent throughout his career. Um, but you know, the other thing about having Kirk Cousins as your quarterback is that you—it's weird. You have no choice but to defend him. You know, you have to be like, well, if you look at the stats, like he's pretty good. Like, he is pretty good. He's a good—he's a good quarterback, and uh, you know, I, I think whether or not he can actually win a Super Bowl. It's very, very dependent on who's around him. Like he's not, he's not Aaron Rodgers. He can't make chicken salad out of chicken, shit. So like, you know that that's just who he is. And so it'll be a bigger task for him this year without Diggs. Because I thought Diggs was the best wideout in the NFL. I know why Ooh, they traded hmm. him. I get it, kinda. But um, but I understand why they had to do that. Uh, but it's, it makes his life harder, and it'll make his life harder if Dalvin Cook doesn't come into camp because he wants a new contract because he deserves one but he's in the correct offense and he does have good players around him and they are doing their best to make the line better which they had not done in years before so um, honestly you know i'm kind of over the fatalism at this point and i hope for the best and if they do badly then it's just 
I'm inured to them, you know, taking my psyche and putting it through a paper shredder. So it's 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 old hat by <laughs> for me now. I, I'm I'm inured to the habit. Well, I it's funny that you you I kind of thought it actually crossed my mind because I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, Drew. That when Cousins went there, that you might have some type of meltdown because he seems like the type of quarterback that might get a uh, Drew McGarry type really fired up. The whether it's his personality <laughs> or the way he plays plays the game, the way he kind of uh, some people see him as a bit of a phony, some people see him as a goody two shoes. You so you're okay with this guy as kind of the face mm. of the franchise? He's definitely a goody two shoes, right? Yeah, no, I don't. No, I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, remember, it was interesting because they picked Kirk when they had after the Case Keenum season. They had to pick between Case, Sam Bradford, and Teddy Bridgewater, and no one knew if Teddy was going to be able to come back all the way. Uh, I think, particularly Mike Zimmer, thought that Case's brilliant season was essentially a one-off, which turned out to be, and then Sam Bradford couldn't be trusted with his health and then turned out he's not in the league anymore. Um, so essentially it was kind of the only decision they could make. I think it's possible after this year, now that Teddy's with the, the Panthers, that they will have regretted not signing Teddy to a long-term deal. But the time they did it, they simply didn't know if he would, if his leg would explode, you know, from a bolt of lightning coming from the heavens again. So I don't, I don't blame them for doing what they did. I mean, at the time, it was like, you know, it was I, had, you know, made fun of Kirk like everybody else, and it's like, okay, well, now he's your quarterback. Enjoy. And I had to deal with that, but I, again, <laughs> I'm used to hum- ritual humiliation on the football field. I'd ask you this real quick. I mean, Arif Hassan of the Athletic. I thought he had a good line. He called um, last year's Vikings a case study in the difference between good and great. Um, and I, to, to Greg's point and what you've said too, I kind of just feel that way about the Vikings always that they're, they're there, they're in the playoff picture. Um, I had a real hard time taking them seriously last year. I, d- does Mike Zimmer, can Mike Zimmer make them great? Is mm. he that kind of a coach or have we seen the ceiling with Mike Zimmer? Okay. No, I don't think so. I like Zim. Zim makes a lot of in-game boners that, or, you know, will drive you crazy and you sort of hang them on him for the rest. Like whenever a coach makes a really stupid game management error or screws up with a timeout or something, like if you're a fan, it sticks to you forever. Like it stuck, like, like before he won a Super Bowl last year, like, you know, all Philly Eagles fans thought about Andy Reid were like when he would run, you know, a dive with, you know, Brian Westbrook <laughs> at like the five when it was like third and goal, you know, like, like that stuff just sticks with you, but uh, I think it's pretty clear he's the best coach they've had since Bud Grant. Uh, I think he has issues in terms of, you know, he goes through offensive coordinators like he goes through underwear. But I think once he hired Stefanski last year, he had no choice but to let Stefanski go to, to be a head coach uh, in Cleveland, but where he replaced him with Gary Kubiak, who essentially was the puppet master of that offense a year ago. So he's made the you know, he, it took him a while to figure out what he wanted in terms of offense, but he wasn't wrong in terms of his instincts and in terms of the people that he's had in it, and he coordinates his defense very well. So I can't complain about any of that. I think he's a good coach. I think that, you know, whether or not he's a championship coach, you know, like I said, you know, people said that about that Andy Reid wasn't that guy for a long time when last year proved it was 
definitively untrue and, and had been the case even when he hadn't won a title. So, <laughs> I, no, I, I, I think Zimmer's a good coach, and I'm, I'm glad they have him. Uh, you know, whether or not they win a title with him, you know, the, the <laughs> evidence is so strongly that that won't happen. But, but it's, I don't think it's because of anything that, that Zimmer has done poorly. All right. Before we let you go, Drew, as Mark said, you're the author of uh, many books, including a book on fatherhood. Any advice for us parents mm. uh, during the summer months now of how to kind of stay sane in a household where everyone is trapped together? I, I know you're on a, a working vacation right now. I, Any advice from yeah, great I, Drew McGarry? I left the household. My advice would be to leave, but that's, that's irresponsible. Uh, uh, no, my... Um, I would say just uh, let go a little bit. Uh, I'm sure parents have already done that during the spring. Um, but in the summer, you know, if, you have, if you're close to outside and relatively uncramped spaces, let them be outside as much as they possibly can be. And if they want to mess around and be on screens longer than, you know, the, the parenting guides tell them they can be on screens, then just do it. Buy them an Xbox. Who cares? <laughs> I feel I like, who cares is right i feel like drew's in a great place right now he's like he seems pretty chilled out he's fine with the vikings he's on like a semi he's writing uh articles just absolutely destroying bill simmons while like in in on a beach vacation calling him an effing failure Something's in the san made. francisco chronicle <laughs> i mean you're in a good spot but gary's flying i'm in a good spot i'm doing i'm doing as well as i can and you may do with what you got, just like uh, just like football teams. <laughs> All right, Drew, thank you so much for joining us, uh, and good luck both to you uh, with uh, Gen Magazine and all your other projects and your new book, and, of course, to your Vikings. Uh, enjoy that vacation, buddy. Thank you, guys. See ya. Thank you. Bye. I think the tornado is taking him away. Wow. <laughs> we, we I wish probably- that the listeners could know that we have – you know, we taped the whole show on video, of course, so we could, uh, you know, do this during the quarantine. And Drew started the interview off with the with the, his cell phone pointed up at him, giving him the Bosworth look. And then about halfway through, he just was holding the phone where half of his hand was <laughs> um, covering the 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 uh, camera. Uh, so that was that was enjoyable. I, it was good good to hear from Drew McGarry. He's he's one of the good ones. I mean, he's got his fastball. That I mean. That Simmons article. Whew. I mean, that's in a major oh, newspaper. Greg reveled in, in that. He, he sent that to us, and you could just feel I mean, Greg, the energy from Greg's house on well, fire. When you, like he when loves you, reading takedown pieces. That's, those are my favorite McGarry pieces is when he just decides to, you know, he just doesn't get, <laughs> give a fuck. Like, he, he, go, he goes for it. If he's, he wants to take someone down, he's going to do it. Yeah, he once famously had an, um, a column for Deadspin called LeBron James is a cop sucker no that's not fair you know eric is not going to make her um afternoon match with yvonne lendl if we keep dropping uh curse words into the show just throwing that out there (laughs) i don't know who's who's playing tennis in her backyard tennis court up there it seems like you could pull some legit talent former unh tennis player Hmm. maybe not not feeling that apparently yep Wow, Erica, definitely not paying attention to the show right now. All right. Hey, before we move on, uh, any other thoughts, Greg? You did the roster projection for the Vikings. Uh, what do you think about that defense, by the way? 
Uh, I mean, do you think uh, do you think it's proven, especially up front? It's a little different, and the back end. It's going to look different. It's totally different. Drew made a good point about you know the court, you know the pandemic. That normally I would think, look, Mike Zimmer's been there forever, and they still have a lot of veterans. They're actually a team that's you know you would think would be well set up and have a lot of continuity, but they just so happen to have the biggest turnover that their defense has had by far in the Mike Zimmer era. I mean, their entire secondary, which, you know, he mentioned is, is new. They're, they're counting on their first round pick Jeff Gladney to play, but it's, it's Mike Hughes, it's Holton Hill. Um, and then up front too, like their defensive end position has always been one of the best in the league defensive tackle too, really the, the whole line. And right now it's, it's Daniil Hunter. Who's great. And, and then it's some question marks. Shamar Stevens been there for a bit uh, and is a solid player, but they brought in Michael Pierce. They gave him a lot of money. The the Ravens nose tackle. They have a, a guy, Ohenabo, who Wes loved, who came on super strong at the end of last year, but he was, he's a fourth year player, a seventh round pick. He might've been on the Browns at one point. I'm not even, he, he went around the league a couple times and looked like a stud. So suddenly like that was, they were known for their pass rush, setting up everything. And suddenly you're counting on some guys that have not been there. And I, I think they would be helped out greatly if they could bring back uh, Everson Griffin, who's still out there. I think that's a possibility, especially, you know, Everson Griffin going to a whole new scheme and a whole new team versus this. He said with his own, in his own words that he'd go back. I mean, I, Mike Zimmer, if he does one thing, you know, consistently well over the course of a very long career is coach up secondaries. So I think yeah. you've got a little bit more of an advantage there with him than um, a different coach. But I, you know, I'd flip to the other side of the ball and, you know, you, you've moved Stefan Diggs. I thought they'd got a, they've got a good um, return on that trade. But you're asking Justin Jefferson, they need him to come in and be like a thousand yard receiver. I mean, at least in terms of talent right away. And how many wide receivers that look that sound like a great deal um, in on June 24th in past years, take it a couple of years to warm up. Right. I mean, asking a rookie receiver to come in and flip the switch like that is, is asking a lot. And they don't really have a third receiver. We talked about the Seahawks. They're, they don't have much depth, and the Vikings are pretty similar. Irv Smith is a guy, if we were doing, you know, making the leap where we were doing 15 guys like back in the old days, Irv Smith would make my list, the second-year tight end who – did a lot of things. Who's kind of what you're looking for? Who can kind of he can block, but he's definitely a, a fun receiver. And I could see him being being a nice, maybe their number two receiver. And Vikings fans will tell you they haven't had an incredible amount of luck in recent years on high profile wide receivers uh, breaking in and being the impact players they need them to be. Maybe that ends uh, with the with the latest guy. And I I guess my one thing I disagreed or I disagree with what Drew said was he kind of had them pegged to the Vikings as a team that's seen nationally as a middling 500 team. I don't quite get that vibe. I, I think um, I think overall, even with Stefan Diggs out of the picture, that people will be picking the Vikings for the playoffs. Uh, but they are, at least some people will, but they are a team that, going back to kind of the overarching point of the beginning of that conversation, you know, they squeezed by the Saints, and that was a great job. And, uh, you know, to go to New Orleans in that wild card round and get out of there with a win, that included that touchdown drive in overtime with Cousins, which was so big uh, for his career. That was huge. But then you go to San Francisco the next week and you're not even competitive from, uh, you know, the opening kickoff. Essentially. They had like eight first downs in that game. You're right. I, I went back and looked at the box score and it's like I kind of forgot how that was just even more one sided than the score. Well, and everyone talks was, about the run defense. But it was their offense did not show up at, on any level. The whole team. Why fly them there? I don't know how much it costs. And that could have saved the money. 
and that happened several times to them. Uh, there was, I remember that uh, game we watched in the garage that I believe was a Monday night game with the Vikings when Keith Hansis was in town where they pulled another total no-show on offense. They had 147 total yards in that playoff loss, and <sighs> the Niners kind of took the foot off the pedal, or that could have been one of those, like, you know, Jaguars, Dolphins, disgraceful playoff blowouts. Uh, it ended up 27-10, to 10, as I believe. Anyway, the Vikings. We'll see where they fit. I I think they're the safest. I guess they would be my pick to win the division. Because to me, they they are a safer team. I'm not sure like about the pack. Like to me, the Packers are they could be good, they could be bad. I I actually do feel kind of You think the Packers can be bad? Yeah. I mean I think they could be like seven and nine. I think they could be a seven and nine type of team. Sure. They have a higher floor than that. I uh, I think I the Vikings have a pretty high floor, I guess is, is a good way to put it. You know, I think they will. I, I would be really surprised if, if at the end of the year, they're not in the at the at least in the mix. And if, if I was picking one of those teams in the north, they would be it. I would just I'd always ticket them for a wild card in this era. And anything on top of that is is gravy. But that's just a terrible scenario for a fan. base. Does anyone have any um, concept in their mind of them going to the Super Bowl with in this current incarnation? No, I could think of a lot of fan bases that uh, are in a way worse spot. Worse, but it, they're stuck in that. Like you're, you're not a terrible team. Um, it, you had you, you also are just basically one of these teams that float through our lives. It's nine and seven, like five or six years in a row, and <laughs> I, I have to spend way more time talking about them than I'd want to. Well, you're hope- eventually going to get waxed in January. You hope to just get in the playoffs and then catch some <laughs> oh. breaks, maybe. But you're right. I think part of the reason you feel that way, and it's totally fair, is their two best teams under Zimmer have been absolutely destroyed to get knocked out of the playoffs. So even even the Vikings at their best under Zimmer got totally hammered, whether it was last I, year or when the Eagles took them out. I kind of forgot how much Mark hated the Vikings last year. Yeah. And then oh, it bubbled up there in his comments. A few years. Ever, well, since, I think I, I ever just, since he picked them as the team of ATL at, at 5-0, and really the only, <laughs> the only team of Sestiel, the only team that he's ever sort of put his heart out there. And it was like, they immediately so they immediately cratered and it was yeah. like it was almost like Mark was like feeling he spread his Browns juice on another team and it just was like too much. I remember it was genuinely uncomfortable when the Vikings went on a five game losing streak in that season. It well, got, it got really it, awkward. Were tough. Because, no because, one was responding to his text. No, because also what was happening was <laughs> this campaign happening on air where Dan you know, rewriting history like some would like to do. Oh, talking about how he was all along on the Raiders. You know, I'm the, I was the Raiders guy, one of the Raiders. It's like, well, I, I, was. Refu- I know, but I refuse to anoint okay. them as team of ATL without four-person buy-in. And you gave buy-in and then you pulled it when times got tough. And I didn't like that. It's bringing up bad feelings. <laughs> I could tell. And I love it. I love it. I couldn't get West to buy-in on the Raiders. And that was the fun Derek Carr season. That was well. annoying to me, but I hadn't thought about it. Um, all right. Good sh- good stuff today. Thank you, Drew McGarry. Ricky, you know, when, when we bring you into the show, we just we got to have buy-in from you, Ricky. Need it. Didn't what? get it on that last interaction with Mark. No, I can't win. You're calling me blue bloods. You get mad. You're taking ten. Like I just said, yeah, I'm not going to engage with your, with your absolute slander. <laughs> Wow. Well, I was not trying to take you into that area with that comment. So I, I apologize. Right here on Serena the show. Williams is hitting tennis balls at my head while I'm recording. 
All right. Okay. I, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a sore spot. Now we're starting to learn that. And then forget about entertainment value as friends. We should recognize that Eric is uncomfortable and strive to be better. Absolutely. I thought the Yvonne Lendl <laughs> bit was funny. I mean, that I is a funny, that is. that is a funny name to bring up. Well, you know what you can do? You can, you can drive. It's probably closed right now, but the, uh, the pro tennis hall of fame, isn't that just a little, you know, it's not too far away. It's in Rhode it's Island. Not. It's basically the same state. Uh, and you can go look at the, the bust or whatever they do <laughs> there. And you can check out the uh, Yvonne Lendl, one of the most, uh, disliked just, tennis players Google of all time. Too. Yeah. You can do that. Ricky, just take the chopper over to the tennis hall of fame. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with your front page uh, paper, Dan. Oof. All right. <laughs> this is Let's getting end this show immediately. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. The network show's back. Uh, the Around the NFL broadcast on Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. So make sure uh, you tune in for that. And uh, again, everybody, it's like, how do I watch the show if I don't have NFL Network? I don't We don't know what to tell you. You Get gotta it. have the network to watch the show, and and I don't even, in these times I'm not even gonna say go get NFL Network because maybe no. financially that doesn't make sense right now. But just consider this to be uh, almost like a pay per view uh, version of our show on Friday, and if you have basic cable and you get the network you can watch it and if you can't watch it that stinks. But we'll be back in podcast form on Monday. I don't know what else to say. Stan Hansen signing off for. Quiet Storm, the old boss, and Ricky Hollywood from the deck. Till Friday. Really letting it ride today. (laughs) You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I think my battery's dead. With free battery testing and charging, we can help you get back on the road. So what if I need a new one? We have the right Duralast battery for you, only at AutoZone. And what about my old battery? We can recycle it right here at America's number one battery destination. Restrictions apply.